0: Welcome to the always better than yesterday podcast. I am your host Ryan Hartley. This podcast is for heart-centered leaders just like you. I hope our time spent together helps you leave a heart print where those around you are left better than yesterday. These interview sessions are sponsored by our great friends at Elevate Online Marketing. On episode 205 I'm joined by Chris Walk. Chris is a young adult cancer survivor. He's a best-selling author and patient advocate. Chris was diagnosed with a stage 3 colon cancer in 2003 at just 26 years old. After surgery, Chris made the decision to go against his doctor's advice and opted out of chemotherapy and chose to use nutrition and natural therapies to heal. Six years later in 2010, Chris began sharing his story of faith, courage and determination and his message of hope that chronic diseases like cancer can be prevented and reversed with a radical transformation of diet and lifestyle. In the last decade, Chris has become one of the most well-known cancer survivors on the planet and reaches millions of people a year as a blogger, podcaster, speaker and global health coach through his books, his social media and his website, chrisbeatcancer.com. This conversation over the next hour and a half is barely going to scratch the surface of what is possible. I highly recommend you head to chrisbeatcancer.com, find out more about him, his story, consume his blogs, listen to his podcast, watch his interviews on, on YouTube with other survivors, and be sure to read his books. Chris Beat Cancer, he also has a, a 365 days of, of inspiration, encouragement, and action steps to survive and thrive. And his third book, which is Beat Cancer in the Kitchen, deliciously simple plant-based anti-cancer recipes. There's an abundance of information that should empower you and those that you love. I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I hope that you lean into the curiosity and the possibilities of Chris's story and may it fuel you with hope and leave you and the ones that you love slightly better than yesterday. Here we go, episode 205 with Chris Walk. Chris, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you?
1: I am well, thank you. Oh, thank How you are so you? much. Yeah, I'm
0: great. Thank you for taking time out of your day. And um, I think with a book called Chris Beat Cancer, it's quite possibly the biggest spoiler alert to put at the at the start of a podcast but I'd I'd love to I'd love for you to take us back to this kid destined for greatness take us back to this (laughs) this
1: period of your life thank you that that's very flattering um so I yeah the spoiler is I didn't die um but uh I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer at 26 so I was technically an adult didn't quite feel like an adult you know like in your 20s you kind of still feel like you're not really a (laughs) grown-up at an
0: epic handlebar yeah
1: yeah i i mean i was two years out of college i was a newlywed that's kind of adult stuff you know and i had started my own business and i was playing in bands and and like really loving my life i mean things my life was just things were going great. I mean, and um, I was really excited about the future. And I had, you know, I was ambitious. And uh, I had big dreams and goals. And I was trying to achieve stuff. (laughs)
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And, uh, and I was hustling, man, I was, I was really trying to make stuff happen. And, and but I started getting these abdominal pains in uh, early um, 2003 and uh i was just working really hard and really busy and i i just they would come and these pains would come and go and i just didn't worry about it i wasn't taking any anything for the pain it would just they were just little random twinges you know it wasn't like debilitating at all <clears throat> and um and i didn't go to the doctor or anything and then over the course of the year uh toward the end of the year like once you know we got into november the pain really started to get worse. And that's when I was like, okay, I gotta see a doctor. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And um, I got referred around, a, but eventually I had a colonoscopy and they found a golf ball sized tumor in my large intestine and sent it to the lab and biopsied it and said, you have colon cancer. And they wanted me to to have surgery just immediately. And this was just a couple of days before Christmas. So it was like a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of cancer patients really have the same story. You know, you get this diagnosis and then you're just rushed into treatment before you understand anything about the disease or the treatment mm-hmm. or what to expect, what's happening to you. I mean, it's just, it's just a, an urgency, uh, what's maybe called tyranny of the urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in a state of fear and panic and worry, you can't really make a good decision. You can't think rationally and logically. You are at the mercy of your sort of base survival instincts, which are not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they they can help you run away, you know, yeah. from a from a scary situation, right, or fight for your life. Um, but in terms of making like a really wise decision about your health care, uh, you can't do that in a state of fear. And so anyway, I was um, you know, rushed into surgery and, and I basically, I was able to postpone it and it wasn't because I was smart. I was, <laughs> my mm. reasoning was, I don't want to be in the hospital during Christmas. Mm. You know, it's like, to me, it's like, can I just have a Christmas with my family, like a normal kind of Christmas? And they're like, yeah, so I, I went in for surgery on December 30th mm. and they took out a third of my large intestine and that's where the tumor was and a bunch of lymph nodes. And when I woke up, they said, you're stage three, which is worse than we thought. If you're stage two with colon cancer, they can remove the tumor and then send you home and you're done. At least that was, that was the standard mm-hmm. uh, standard of care back then. And, uh, but stage three means you need chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was told, that I would need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. So, you know... <laughs> Man, a cancer diagnosis is like, it's a traumatic life event, yeah. right? It's basically like someone's telling you, you're dying, yeah. right? You have a life-threatening, potentially deadly disease, and uh, we don't know how long you have to, to live. And I mean, so uh, you're, you're, your whole life just sort of comes to a grinding halt,
2: hmm.
1: and, um, and it's really scary, and no one understands. Like no one can understand what you're going through unless it's another cancer patient. Like no one else really has any Mm, idea mm. what what that feels like. And um, it's just a lot to process. And so I was dealing with all that, of course, in just this two-week span. Spent Christmas with my family. And it was, of course, really weird. And like the elephant in the room, you know, everybody knew I had cancer, but Mm. it was like, Nobody knew what to say, and I don't even know what to say about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh yeah. Uh, so two things happened in the hospital that I talk about in my book. One was the very first meal that they served me after taking out a third of my large intestine was a sloppy joe. Do you know what a sloppy joe is? Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. I do. They have Sloppy Joe's where you live.
0: <laughs> I was reading, I was reading in your book there. There's some, it's uh, it's safe for schools and prisons or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sloppy Joe's. I, I don't know if Sloppy Joe's is just an American thing or if they serve them in other countries. But yeah, it's it's like, it's almost like spaghetti sauce. It's like ground beef mm. in a, in a giant stew pot and they ladle it onto a burger bun. Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, and it's it's like really only served at summer camp or in in the military or in in prison. You know, it's like that's kind of like <laughs> where they're serving sloppy joes. But anyway, apparently, surprised they serve them in hospitals too, wow. uh, to sick people, cancer patients, heart disease. Like, doesn't matter. Like, if sloppy joes on the menu, everybody's getting one. Mm. So uh, yeah, so that was a, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, because I, I knew what healthy food looked like. Like I knew if they walked in with, yeah. a, with a salad or a bunch of vegetables and said, you need to eat this. I would have been like, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, Yeah, yeah. it's healthy. If I must. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, so that, that got the wheels turning a little bit. And then, the, and then the next thing that happened was the day they told me I could go home, my surgeon came in and we were having a conversation. And I just happened to say, hey, is there any food I need to avoid? Yeah because everything you eat is going down the tube right yeah, yeah mouth to yeah. anus it's all one long tube and your yeah. colon is the end of the line so like i didn't want to eat the wrong thing and and mm. somehow screw up the stitches or you know i don't know rupture my colon or something mm. um you know and uh you can imagine there's all kinds of foods that sound like they might be a problem but my surgeon said no just don't lift anything heavier than a beer right Yeah. So that that was, that was the advice. Uh, and I mean, you know, again, I'm like, well, why is there such a huge disconnect between healthcare, the -hmm. healthcare industry and just like basic healthy food, healthy living advice? Like I had been around healthy health nut people. I worked in a natural Mm -hmm. food grocery store called wild oats Mm -hmm. in college. So like, I, I knew what wheatgrass was. You know? <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, <clears throat> I, uh, I and by the way, I wasn't eating that way for sure. I was eating a standard American diet, which is tons of fast mm-hmm. food, processed food, junk food, meat and dairy, sugar, salt, and oil. I mean, just, yeah. I was just consuming the same food everybody else eats yeah. in a rich Western nation. Yep. And uh, so I get home. I'm recovering from surgery. I'm trying to, you know, I weaned myself off the pain medication. And uh, I, as I sobered up, I just realized like, I don't really want to do chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had this re- resistance to it because I knew it was really poisonous. It was highly toxic. Uh, I had seen advanced chemo patients out there in the world. And, and I call them advanced chemo patients because people tend to associate what chemotherapy does to someone as cancer Mm -hmm. and it's not cancer that makes them look that way it's the Mm -hmm. drugs it's the chemotherapy Mm -hmm. drugs and i'd seen that i can and and, you know it leaves an impression on you when you see another human in that just emaciated yellow skin no hair you know dark eyes i mean just you just just think oh my gosh i could Mm -hmm. i can't believe this person is in this physical state you know it's You know, the only thing I can, could liken it to, it's like when you see those concentration camp, Mm. you know, images, it's like so, not that bad, but it's, you know, in some cases Mm. it's close. And um, so I thought, man, that's going to be me. Mm. And I was already really thin. I was already very, I'd lost a lot of weight. I've always been thin anyway, and I'm 6'2", and I'd lost a lot of weight. And uh, I was just like, I can't. I don't think I can handle chemotherapy, like, physically. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't know what to do, and I just prayed about it. And I was like, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. Like, I don't know what to do. I need help. Mm-hmm. And I just, it was just a simple prayer of desperation, but also of faith. Like, I was believing, you know, that yeah. God would answer my prayer. So I'm yeah. a Christian. I just believe that, you know, that he really does yep. care and um, that he works all things for our good, which is Romans 8.28. And so two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man who knew my dad mm. who lived in Alaska. And that book was written by George Malcolmus. And he, and George Malcolmus, his story was he had colon cancer in the back in the 1970s and healed it with the raw food diet and juicing. Mm. <laughs> and so I start reading his story and I'm like, Oh my gosh, colon cancer. That's what I have raw foods, juicing. Like what's this about? Mm. You know? And, um, so I got really excited. I was like, man, if this guy was able to heal naturally with nutrition, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I can heal. Mm-hmm. And it gave me so much hope. I was I mean, it was just it was just like an IV of hope <laughs> in the arm.
0: Hey, my friends, thank you for being with us so far. I hope you're enjoying the interview. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about our signature heart print coaching. Our Heartprint Coaching is for you if you're ready to go all in on becoming a heart-centred leader, ready to go all in on doing more of what you love, ready to see what you are capable of with support, guidance and accountability. You're ready to go on a rapid transformational journey that will change your life and others in as little as three months. Are you ready to show up with courage and share your gift with the world? Ready to start making an income and more impact by doing what you love. Ready to start leaving your legacy where those around you are left better than yesterday. In our Heartprint Signature Coaching, in our time together, I'll help you lead from your heart set. I'll help you develop other people and your team. I'll help you bring your heart work to the world. I'll help you start leaving a legacy and capturing examples of your impact. I will help you be someone you love, to do more of what you love, and to serve people that you love. It's an amazing opportunity for someone who's ready to go all in and be a heart-centered leader. I'll throw in loads of other bonuses, including your Life Languages Profile, Uh, access to our master heart and mind membership, and even some always better than yesterday merchandise, head to abty.co.uk forward slash coaching to find out more. And I look forward to connecting with you very soon. That's abty.co.uk forward slash coaching. Here we go. Back to the interview. Yeah, which I imagine didn't last long, because then you go and tell people about your crazy idea.
1: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So what happened was I, you know, I started reading his book and immediately I was like I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no doubt. I was like I prayed, I asked for something, this showed up. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. Like I just knew this is the answer to my prayer. I've got to do this. Yeah. And it and it it made sense to me. I you know, he made a pretty good case in in his book that uh the reason we have so much chronic disease, cancer, heart disease and diabetes Uh, autoimmune disease is largely because of our diet lifestyle and environment yeah and by the way i didn't know this at the time but they've done a lot of studies on this kind of thing and up to 90 percent of cancers are caused by diet Mm. lifestyle Mm. and environment Mm. (laughs) like only five to ten percent are genetic and some people would argue it's like even less than that Mm. so Once the the light bulb went off and I realized I have a part to play in my life and in my health, and I'm not just a victim of disease, which is what Mm -hmm. most cancer patients are told. It's either bad luck or bad genes. You're a victim. You didn't do anything wrong. You don't need to change your diet. You don't need to change anything. You just need to be comfortable and enjoy your life and eat your favorite foods after chemo. You just go home and have milkshakes and pizza Mm -hmm. and ice cream and all those yummy foods you love you know this is what they're told i'm not exaggerating this is exactly what cancer patients are told to do and uh and they're they're disempowered um unfortunately by the medical system and their doctors and and so um and i was very much in that state and this kind of woke me up and i realized no i i need to take responsibility for my life and my health and I need to change my life and I'm gonna do everything in my power to help myself. And so mm-hmm. overnight I changed my diet. Like there wasn't d- any deliberation. It was like, I'm doing this. I went to Whole Foods the next day. I loaded up the cart with vegetables. I bought a juicer mm-hmm. and I was, I was on my way. Like, okay, here we go. Let's figure this thing out. Like, yep. so I was excited about that, but, but you're right. As I started to tell the people around me about it, <laughs> they were less enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah. My mom was a big supporter because she'd always been sort of a health junkie Mm -hmm. and uh, and had she had a ton of books on juicing and healing and like, it turns out had a library that was like perfect for me in that moment of my life like it was divine how, how many resources she had for me and she'd never been sick, you know, she just always been interested in health and natural healing and so yeah there's a lot of pressure to do chemotherapy and i went to go see an oncologist and the appointment didn't go well and he just treated us badly and i talk about the details in my book more but i mean the gist of it is i was just treated like every other patient you know just kind of like oh here's another cancer patient here's you got to do chemo if you don't do chemo you're going to die like you know and he basically as as
0: if stated like a matter of fact
1: yes oh yeah very matter of fact absolutely just sort of dispassionate just (laughs) you know, this is your only option. Mm. And, uh, and he convinced me by the way. Yeah, I, I mean, his, he, he coerced me out of fear and fear, mm. some fear and intimidation to, to sign up for chemo. And I, and I made an appointment to get a port put in, if in, you know, a few weeks later. Um, but it was just a dreadful appointment. I mean, it was, it was so discouraging and, and I just left there complete, just Really hopeless, yeah. And I went into that appointment really feeling good. I'd been on a raw food diet for a week. I was feeling energetic and optimistic. And man, I mean, the cancer clinics can just be this. A lot of them, it's just a fear factory. Yeah. And like I said earlier, you can't make a good decision when you're in a state of fear. And that's how patients are coerced into into treatment. And it's not like doctors are bad people, but that's this is how they make their living. And they they've been indoctrinated and trained and conditioned and told and led to believe that drugs are the only option. Yeah, Like it's if that if a patient doesn't do these drugs, they're definitely going to die of cancer. And if they do the drugs, maybe they'll live longer. Mm. Um, but will probably still die of cancer. Mm. Um, or in some cases, they'll you know, have endless rounds of chemo, and then just die mm. because their bodies are so wrecked. there's no cancer in there, but their organs are just destroyed. and this is mm. not uncommon. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to come across as the guy who who like hates doctors because I have a lot of friends who are doctors mm-hmm. and uh, it, but I really part of my mission now as a survivor and a patient advocate is just to educate people. And so they understand like the way the cancer industry and the medical industry work, right? this is, these industries are, are driven by profits and the most profitable therapies always win, like that they they rise to the top. And so the least profitable therapies uh, are neglected Mm -hmm. and that would be nutrition, (laughs) exercise, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, stress reduction, forgiveness (laughs) you know all these the holistic we call holistic health approach to healing uh that has been abandoned by conventional medicine it used to be a part of it Uh, and so anyway i'm i'm so thankful i'm just really thankful that i had three weeks or ish before i was going to start chemo because i just went home and fired up the juicer and just kept doing what I was doing, you know? And yeah. And there was this looming, there was this date like looming. It was like Mm. every day I was getting closer and closer to it. And the anxiety was increasing. And then finally the day came to go get the port put in. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing it. Yeah. i w I'm going to choose to live or die on my own terms. Hmm. And that was uh, a hard decision because I also realized if, if I go this way, if I continue to go this way, I'm going alone. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't fault anyone around me. My mom supported me again, like I said, Uh, and my dad did too, but he was sort of a silent, you know, he wasn't an enthusiastic supporter, but he, he Mm. supported me in, in in a quiet, you know, way. He didn't oppose me or try to talk me out of it, but there's a lot of other family members that, that had a hard time with my decision and were trying to talk me out of it. And I just realized I had to be okay with, being misunderstood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And being alone. And with people thinking I was a fool. Yeah. That's pretty hard. Like, it's pretty hard to do something knowing everybody thinks you're an idiot.
0: And and I've, I've read your account and, you know, talking about being acutely aware of your own mortality during this time as well, you know, that, that cold sweat of anxiety, when you remember that you, you know, you had cancer within your body, it's, I can only imagine you know i guess that's what it means like walk on water isn't it to to step out the boat and walk on water and and, uh, a real leap of faith
1: yeah yeah the fear is a real real it's a daily struggle and there are these moments there are these like when you're right in the thick of cancer and i you know a lot of your listeners probably haven't had cancer but you can almost liken it to a bad breakup sure you know like when you there are moments throughout the day where you're just busy and you're distracted, right? And you're yeah. focused on something else. And then you're reminded yeah. that you have cancer, or you're reminded that someone just broke your heart, mm. right? And that feeling just the wave just washes over you. And it's just awful, you know? It's mm. an awful feeling. Well, if you've been dumped, it's like grief, mm. you know. Mm. You know, with cancer, it's fear, right? But these are very negative and unpleasant emotional states. So, yeah, I had to learn how to give my fear to God, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just every day when when the fear would come, I would just have to stop right in the middle of it and be like, okay, God, I trust you. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm giving you my fear. I am just going to lay it down. Right. I trust you. Just show me what I need to change in my life. And so I just kept asking for that. You know, show me what I need to do. Show me what I need to change. I trust you. I'm giving you my fear i'm not going to be afraid and that's the thing like fear fear is a feeling right we all have it uh from time to time in life and courage is the decision to move forward in spite of your fear Mm -hmm. courage isn't being fearless Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it isn't fearless bravery isn't fearless it's moving forward while you're afraid Mm -hmm. you know think of it in the battlefield analogy is the obvious one right it's scary you could die but you either press forward or you run away and so I had to learn to do that you know and just and just be accept that I could control a lot of things in my life and then and that I couldn't control other things and trust God with the rest Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and so I just created a simple routine every day you know just my healing routine which was the food that I ate my you know uh my prayer life my thought life and just keeping staying as low stress as possible mm-hmm. and uh, and and then repeat you know and just creating this what i call healing momentum yeah. where you're just you're just continually pumping your body full of anti-cancer nutrition mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the first start and then just in gradually bit by bit changing the rest of your life because mm. changing your diet's the easiest part Right. That's like the gateway drug to total life change. Like it starts with what you eat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And
0: it was uh, 64 ounces of carrot juice a day.
1: Yeah. 64 ounces of carrot juice. So that's half a gallon. And then that, that kind of evolved into a blend of carrot, beet, celery, ginger root. So I started adding yeah. more to it as I learned more. But it started with the straight carrot juice and I did some juice fasting. And then I figured out, well, I need to eat a ton of vegetables. Mm. obviously I eliminated all animal food and processed food junk food and I was like I need to eat a ton of vegetables and uh like I would got some raw food recipes but it was just complicated and time consuming and I was trying to figure out how to do it and I just realized like I just need to make a giant salad just put all these veggies in a bowl just a big bowl so it was like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, onions, mushrooms, peppers, sprouts, you know, garbanzo beans, lentils, I'm sprouting like uh, different legumes. Um, I'm putting olive oil and apple cider vinegar as a vinaigrette dressing. And then I'm like, well, I'm learning about all these spices that are anti cancer garlic and cayenne pepper and turmeric. I'm like, well, I can put those on the salad too. So I'm just like, you know, nutritional yeast like Mm -hmm. you name it man I'm just like loading this thing up it turns out it was like amazing it was delicious like so much flavor and um and so I was like man this is really good like I could I could eat this every day Mm -hmm. and then I thought well I could eat this every day for lunch and dinner every day and I just realized like this is the way This is how I'm going to overdose on Mm -hmm. nutrition with juices all day, two giant salads. I usually juiced through, through breakfast. I didn't really eat breakfast. I would just juice in the morning and maybe have some fresh fruit mid morning, Mm -hmm. like, you know, green apple or grapefruit or something, giant salad for lunch, more juices in the afternoon, giant salad for dinner and then finish the juices. If there are any left over. Mm-hmm. And then I started adding fruit smoothies to the mix, like, you know, maybe mid afternoon or maybe in the morning, uh, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, banana. Mm-hmm. And um, because fruit is the most potent anti-cancer, I mean, berries, are the most potent anti-cancer fruit mm-hmm. and um, the most potent anti-cancer vegetables, as it turns out, which I learned later, I'm going to talk about this research in my book are the allium and the cruciferous family so the allium family is garlic onions and leeks the cruciferous family is broccoli cauliflower cabbage bok choy brussels sprouts Mm. and so i'm like this is this is what i was eating every day i was eating the most potent anti-cancer vegetables every single day yeah and um and i went from eating on a typical day like one to two servings of fruits and vegetables per day that'd be like a banana, maybe. And then like, do french fries count (laughs) as a vegetable? I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, Or or if my wife made dinner, maybe there would be some steamed broccoli, or a baked potato. You know, I mean, that was it. Yeah. So I went from that to eating between 15 and 20 servings of fruits Mm. and vegetables every single day. And that day after day after day again, that is creating the healing momentum, where you're flooding your body with vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, and all these phytochemicals, which are also called phytonutrients, Mm -hmm. that are only found in plant food. Did you feel it? You feel different. Yes. Yeah. I did feel different. Uh, I had a ton of energy. Yeah.
2: I, yeah.
1: (laughs) I just felt good. Yeah. I felt energetic. And um, in the first few days, I felt like crap, but that's pretty normal. Like anybody who goes on a a, who does a juice fast or, or adopts a plant based diet or even goes all raw. Yeah, the first few days, you're gonna you're gonna have detoxification symptoms, you're gonna have food withdrawals from caffeine, sugar, salt, from high protein, high fat diet, whatever, like, your body is going to be like, what? you know, it it has to adapt. (laughs) <laughs> but it will adapt quickly and so usually pretty this is pretty typical for folks in our community that do this but yeah three or four days of eating a raw food diet and they start to feel really good yeah and that was my experience too i just had very low energy and felt kind of weird and i hate to see people give up you know they do it for a day or two and they're like oh i just don't feel good i gotta go you know i you know my body needs more meat or so whatever yeah and then they they quit. I'm like, no, you just had to press through. you just mm-hmm. got to get over that hump but um but, yeah, so, yeah, I just felt good, like I said i was sleeping sleeping great, lots of energy working all day i mean i I found a and I found a support system. this is important. Uh, I found a naturopathic doctor, I found mm-hmm. an integrative through him, I found an integrative oncologist yep. and you know it's funny there's a whole world of natural health practitioners
2: mm-hmm.
1: out there and mm-hmm. you just have to kind of get your foot in the door yeah right you just need to, to once you connect with one of them they can connect you with a bunch more yep. and so that's happened with me it sort of sort of busted open the the doors to that world and so then i was able to you know found an acupuncturist and someone who did um you know, like Reiki and like I, you know, ch- chiropractor. Like, so I was just doing as much as I could, uh, as much as I could find and afford uh, to help myself. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of herbs, a lot of supplements. Do I know what which ones helped and which ones didn't? Nope. Right, I have no idea. But the point, I I didn't have the luxury, and most people don't, of like running a scientific lab and studying all these individual compounds and reading. A million pages of scientific literature you mm. know what i'm saying
0: like you were the data you were the yeah. data point
1: it was like look i'm gonna just pump my body full of stuff that might help this yeah. is the criteria it might help and there's little to no risk of harm yeah so if it might help and there's no risk of harm i'll take it i'll eat it i'll try it i'll do it whatever mm. and um and i won't worry about you know if was it a waste of money maybe or whatever like i'm just going to do these things that could could be helpful and um that's what i call the beat cancer mindset and it it, this is where it starts it starts with believing that healing is possible yeah like that is the absolute crux of the matter like you have to believe that healing is possible and Mm -hmm. if you believe it's possible then the next step is okay well what are you going to do about it right are you going to are you willing to take responsibility for your life and your health are you willing to change your life change what you eat change how you think change your routine uh and so that's what i did and, and, and that's the same thing that i see cancer patients who survive against the odds doing they all do the same things they all have the same mindset mm. and uh, i've interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of cancer patients who've healed all types of cancer and uh, on my podcast and on chrisbeatcancer.com. And if you watch them, if you watch yeah. these interviews, these are just regular people like me, you'll just see the common threads. Like you'll just hear the same thing. They, we just mm-hmm. all are saying the same thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? There is a path, right? There is a path to healing and we all kind of follow the same path. So, um, So that, and even early in my process, You know, I was finding books written by people who'd healed and, and finding natural health and practitioners and cancer Mm -hmm. survivors and paying very close attention to what they were saying and what they did. And, uh, and the cool thing at that time, which at at the time it felt, uh, (laughs) it's funny how you look at one point in your life, you feel like you don't like your situation. And then you look back and you realize, no, no, it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And and what what I mean by that is, I didn't have that many resources. The internet wasn't helpful. Mm-hmm. Social media didn't exist mm-hmm. in 2004, at least not you know Facebook, right? I don't know when MySpace came along, but <laughs> <laughs> there were no cancer support groups on MySpace that I knew of, yeah. Especially alternative healing, you know. Um, but I had limited resources, and all the information I got was from books and tapes, basically. Uh, but it was all pointing in the same direction. Like it was all raw food, juicing, fasting, forgiveness, mm-hmm. like over and over and over. Those were the themes. Yeah. Um, now with the internet and everything, it's gotten harder. I feel like, you know, easier and harder easy. Cause you can find a lot of survivors like, mm. but harder because there's a lot of mixed messages. Uh, there's a lot of what I think is misinformation. And there's a, there's a, a lot of because the health and wellness industry is um, there's money to be made, so people will just yeah. make all kinds of claims. Well, um,
0: yeah. you and I have uh, both had great conversation with uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and uh, uh, yes. so so Dr. Bruce came on the show this time last year. So he he got me kicked off YouTube for his views on the uh, the vaccine and in the in the way. Oh. That <laughs> because you know what you know what does a 50 year cell biologist know about you know those sorts of things. But um, yeah, so he, he, you know, uh, learning from him and good people like him around this idea that there is no specific when he talks about there's no gene for cancer, and I think what that then does is an invitation to reevaluate what we even think it is, and it's almost taking away this platform of like you say earlier, victim is done too, and then that whole conditioning around outsourcing that care to somebody else which has then you know become an industry one that profits and it and it's you know i'd love to dive into you know to some of these these topics around um you know many of the the elements of of that conditioning and and the i guess the bits more specifically that the three or four elements that you say help because I like say many of those are are free. They don't require intervention or or any change, but the, the biggest attack against them is being cuckooed. And, yeah. and trying to find that research and when when I, I guess this is the point where I was trying to make is is so much of when did science not become the truth? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, well, the thing about science is science has, has never been the truth It's always just been the pursuit of truth, right? right? It's the it's the pursuit. It's the discovery of truth. And if you if you are a student of science, then, you know, science is always changing. Right? It's always changing. New discoveries are constantly being made about the universe, right? Physics, uh, about the human body, anatomy, biology you know so it's constantly changing and evolving and the knowledge base is growing and unfortunately the scientific method is easily corrupted uh for financial gain and and especially when it comes to pharmaceuticals it's pretty it's pretty hard to corrupt and this is where people get confused right they think well science and technology like well is is trustworthy right sure and if we're talking about an iphone absolutely right science and technology develop the iphone and the iphone either works or it doesn't right it e- either does exactly what it claims to do or it doesn't mm-hmm. right if it didn't do what it claimed to do you'd be like this is I've been lied to right yeah. like but no they they scientifically developed it and proved it and sold it to you and you use it and you like it okay but with drugs it's a different animal because it's so easy to manipulate a, a drug study to take the the, the 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 to manipulate the people that they study the drug with mm. to manipulate the results of the study to manipulate what the study is actually showing whether the drug is safe or not safe it's easy to ignore side effects and just not report them Mm -hmm. right it's easy to amplify benefits so it's it's and this has just been done over and over and over for years i mean for decades many many decades by pharmaceutical companies because they know if they can get a drug approved right they're using science right they're engaging in scientific practices Mm -hmm. by doing studies that are scientifically designed but at the end of the day they're they're very sophisticated and they know if they can get a drug approved Mm -hmm. then billions of dollars of profit will come right from that drug and so the incentive is to manipulate the data to get the drug approval and then we unfortunately there have been many many cases in in uh of drug companies being convicted of criminal behavior, yeah, Pfizer, Merck, AstraZeneca, all the big drug companies you've heard of, Eli Lilly, they've all had criminal fines, been convicted of criminal behavior, misleading the public and doctors about the effectiveness of drugs, putting mm-hmm. drugs on the market that harmed and killed people, having to pull the drugs off the market, being fined millions and millions of dollars, even billions of dollars in some cases. Yep. but. I can't think of a single example where the drug company was fined more money than they actually made on the drug, (laughs) right? Right. So usually the fine is much less than their profit on that drug. Mm -hmm. And so what they figured out is, oh, it's okay, right? Mm -hmm. We'll just get the drug out there. We'll sell as much of it as we can, as fast as we can. And if uh, we get in trouble and we have to pull the drug off the market, we'll pay the fine. We're still up a billion dollars on the drug. Or two billion, or four billion, or whatever. So, next, right? right. That that is the playbook, mm. and um, and and it's not just about cancer drugs. This is pretty much yeah. all drugs, and um, it was the same playbook in twenty twenty, right? That that was a drug rushed to market, and uh, people were coerced into it out of fear, mm-hmm. with and there was no long term safety studies, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it it, it was. Uh, Something that I I recognized right away because I wrote a book, I mean, several chapters in my book talking about this very (laughs) tactic, right (laughs) this pharmaceutical industry tactic. And so I'm like, oh, here we go. They're doing it right now, everyone. Like, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you can't trust a new pharmaceutical. You're a guinea pig if you do. And um, so anyway, it's really unfortunate the way that played out because they were very successful and convinced a lot of people to take a, a brand new drug that it still has no long-term safety data. I mean, you're not going to have that for seven to 10 years. Yeah. That's how long it takes for a drug to be proven safe and effective in many drugs. uh, Even after, I mean, there was a study published last year on aspirin. Aspirin has been around for over a hundred years and they're now saying, wait, you shouldn't prescribe a baby aspirin to people, to middle-aged and elderly people. To help prevent heart disease as a blood thinner. Mm-hmm. They're just now figuring out, oh, wait, no, this is actually not good advice. Mm. Medical advice.
2: That.
1: And and so like just think about that. How how long that drug's been on the market. Mm. And I mean, and it's of course it's long been generic, but still <clears throat> for a drug to be prescribed for, you know, decades and decades and decades, and then finally like just now realizing that it's more harmful than they thought. Yeah. So that that yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, and yeah. if you want a deep dive, please I hope your audience will read my book because there's three or four yeah. chapters in there that that yeah. really will blow your mind. When yeah. and it's not just Chris making wild claims. Like I've I've got all these incredible sources from drug companies, from their own mm-hmm. studies, from industry papers like stuff that's just wild. So at the end of the day, we we are in a um a very unique time in history where the pharmaceutical industry has is one of the most powerful industries in the world. They control the medical industry, yep. and patients. You know, at the end of the day, they don't care about your health, mm-hmm. right? They care about making money. Uh, they're making as much money as possible off of you, yep. as a patient. Uh, if you get well, great. We're all excited. If you don't get well, well. They still made money, so
0: yeah, I think one of the things you said earlier about the um the Western civilization and this idea that cancer is a byproduct of a wealthy society of of both um of of both diet and lifestyle, I think there's there's another there's another bit that just blows minds, which is when we have this understanding, this belief that the body is designed to heal itself. And I don't think many people, and I guess I was trying to say this, but less eloquently earlier is, is that so many people have been used to outsourcing health, that they only return to health by seeing a doctor, that they've lost sight that that is what this wonderful vessel is been capable of since the very beginning, is that it's naturally capable of healing ourselves. And I, I think that, you know, even for some people hearing that now must be a hey, what, like, wow, like, how do I do that?
1: Yes, you're right. Um, I think it's the way I like to explain it is your body is designed to heal, Mm. but there are factors in your life that may be causing disease, right? And so you have to identify the disease causing factors. Mm -hmm. What is making you sick or keeping you sick? and uh the medical industry has no interest in that right they just want to give you a pill for the disease and keep you vertically ill right you're vertical you can function you're not horizontal (laughs) you know what i mean you're not well but you're not a
0: repeat customer
1: yeah you're not bedridden either you know you can get through the day and you're a lifetime customer of one drug and then two and then three and then six and ten and so so that, that's one way to approach disease, uh, which is ineffective. And, and people are not getting cured for sure. They're just becoming dependent on pharmaceuticals. But the other way is where you step back and say, okay, I have a health issue. Mm-hmm. What in my life could be contributing to it? And you put on the detective hat mm-hmm. and you start to read and research and learn, especially from people who've healed that issue, which now because of the internet, you can find you can find i've interviewed people who've healed lupus who've healed ms who've healed um uh, you know diabetes Mm. uh, who've of course healed all types of cancers so chronic diseases can be healed and what you'll find is that the same factors that are causing cancer are causing these other chronic diseases it's Mm. what you're putting in your mouth yeah it's your, your weight, lack of exercise, it's cigarettes and alcohol, it's pharmaceuticals, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? They're causing more disease. And even just your attitude and your mindset and, and really negative emotions like stress and anger and unforgiveness, like, and so all of these factors contribute to ill health. And the yeah. good news is, and this is the epiphany I had, the way I'm living is killing me. Yes. Right. That was the epiphany. And it's like, if you're willing to just admit that maybe this is your fault, nobody's trying to blame you or shame you. But if you're willing yeah. to look in the mirror and say, you know what? Okay. Maybe it's my fault. Mm. And if it's if this is my fault, then that means I need to make some changes. Mm. Right? So what do I need to change? And then you have just put yourself on a different path, right? Yeah. You've put yourself, you take, you've sort of stepped off of the victim's path and then on to the path of victory right mm. the victor's path and um and that's where you're empowered like you realize okay i have to change my life i have to learn i have to read and research i have to try new things like i have to take the wheel mm. and i can't like you said uh delegate my health to someone else yeah. to a doctor who by the way They probably won't remember your name if you see them in the grocery store. I mean, they're saying they're seeing 40 people a day every day. You think they're really gonna be like, oh, they're too busy. Mm. You know. Mm. And and the problem with doctors, it's not that they're bad people. They're just in this terrible system. Of course. It's a terrible system that rewards them for basically prescribing drugs and performing surgical procedures. And not actually it doesn't actually give them enough time to spend with their patients yep. to help their patient actually restore their health. And some of the best best doctors I know, I mean, they're integrative and holistic doctors, and they mm. spend an hour or two hours with each mm. patient. And they really dig into that person's life and help them figure out okay what are you doing what are you eating tell me about your routine tell me about Mm -hmm. your day like you know like tell me about your relationships Mm -hmm. what's going on in your life like let's try to let's solve this mystery together of what is making you sick
0: yeah where do you work
1: right you work in a chemical factory okay well hey uh, this could be part of the problem so and and just to, to put a finer point on all this, like we know what's causing cancer. Here it is, number one, smoking. It's the number one cause. Number two is obesity. That's unpopular, mm-hmm. but obesity mm-hmm. is the second leading cause of cancer. What causes obesity? Our diet mm-hmm. and lack of exercise. So that falls under that umbrella category of, okay, uh, if you're eating too much meat and dairy, junk food, fast food, processed food, restaurant food, you're consuming too many calories mm-hmm. you're going to gain weight and when you gain weight your body is in a suboptimal state mm-hmm. an excess body fat produces hormones that fuel cancer growth it promotes produces inflammatory molecules mm-hmm. that uh promote cancer growth that create an environment that's permissive to cancer growth and actually uh, produces excess fatty acids that clog up your immune cells That's one of the biggest revelations in the last, I don't know, few years, is that immune cells in an obese environment are actually themselves obese. Wow. Think about that. Your Mm. immune cells are your army. They're supposed to fight off viruses, bacteria, pathogens, parasites, or cancer cells. This is your army that's supposed to defend your body. Mm. And if your army is slow and sluggish and obese and bloated, it's not going to be a very effective army mm, mm. and so that's what obesity does and and by the way speaking of covid that's why being obese was one of the, of the highest risk factors mm. aside from just being elderly or having other chronic diseases but obesity was a a, a major risk factor for severe covid hospitalization and death mm. so I, I
0: guess it's like because the body's under strain the body is not doing what it's yeah, the, the thing i always come back to is the goldfish bowl analogy yes is that you visually see the goldfish bowl being dirty and murky you you don't you don't medicate the goldfish you clearly change their environment that's right and i think the more we tune in and and i think you know darren earlyon has got a, a podcast called um fatal conveniences and so many of these things that are fatal for us are part of everyday life they're so convenient that we don't even realize that it's there
1: yeah fast food being the big one right Right. and and transportation right lack of exercise because we're sitting down all the time like sitting at work at a desk we're sitting in a car or on a bus or on a train right like we're sitting down to eat we're sitting to watch TV and then we go lay down and get in bed like like we're just always sitting down we're not walking we're not like a lot of us i mean some people do physical labor obviously for their for work but a lot of people don't and um you're right yeah there's so many and these are like this is the curse of wealth yes because many of us live i mean you know if you have a computer and you're using zoom and you have you know, right <laughs> you're in a wealthy nation probably Right? And you have access to unlimited food, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, mm-hmm. to travel, to resources, to transportation. Yeah, and that, that is the curse of Western countries and, and yeah. wealth is that um, we, um, we're overfed, we're yeah. undernourished, we are, we're getting soft and, yeah. uh, and sick. So like, okay, so smoking, uh, being overweight, food, alcohol, Is Mm -hmm. a group one carcinogen Mm -hmm. alcohol also contributes to obesity if you drink a lot, Mm -hmm. but it but alcohol um, when you drink it you're consuming ethanol and that's uh, highly toxic to the body. So you, you know, if you're drinking daily, you're increasing your cancer risk, Mm -hmm. even if it's one drink, if you drink daily your risk goes up there's no amount of alcohol that is a safe amount. But mm-hmm. I understand that it's nice to enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while or a beer, a couple of beers, like, you mm-hmm. know, and, but you really want to think about don't drink every day if you want to keep your cancer risk low. Yeah. And then beyond that, you know, thinking about your environment, like, like the chemical factory, like, where mm-hmm. do you work? Are mm-hmm. you exposed to toxic fumes, smoke, debris, dirt, you know, like chemicals, like, where do you work? Because... Yeah. I mean, I knew a guy who was a printer and he got pancreatic cancer and was bringing them print fumes all day, right. you know? So it's like, these are real factors and real risks that you, you have to just stop and think, okay, like, what am I exposed to? What could be harming mm. me? Didn't
0: you know? the, um, didn't the world health organization lift, list shift work as a possible carcinogen?
1: Yes. Night yeah. shift work mm. increases your risk of cancer because it, you know, humans need to sleep at night.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that, that knocks, uh, the, the work of Dr. Sachin Panda it talks about the circadian code and, and how important it is for us to live in harmony with that rhythm of the sun, get sleep at the good time. With nature. And, uh, yeah, with nature. And one of the things that he talks about in that is, re- I guess it's another word for fasting, is about reducing your time, your t- time eating window. What do you, what in your recent, you, you've you used the word fasting quite a bit. I know that you talk about the Daniel fast, 21 day Daniel fast. What is it that you think um, fasting does to the body's ability to heal itself? It's kind of counter, isn't it?
1: Fasting is incredible. It really is one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself physically. And it costs you nothing, right? Right? It literally costs no dollars, right? No pounds, no euros, <laughs> <laughs> costs you nothing. Um, but you know, Fasting is something that happens in nature all the time because animals don't have access to three meals a day, every day, right? And so animals go through periods of food scarcity for Mm -hmm. for days at a time. And humans went through periods of food scarcity for days at a time, and sometimes weeks at a time. Our ancestors, I mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you go through this process, which is either voluntary or involuntary fasting, of course, it's a religious practice as well. Your your body goes into to repair and protection mode. Your cells hunker down and they all, they they undergo autophagy, which is self eating. So they start they break down uh, parts of themselves for fuel, mm-hmm. and your body starts burning off fat, excess body fat, and breaking down tissue like tumors, yeah. for example, to use for fuel. And the the analogy I like to use is is the cabin, is the uh, the cabin, uh, the cabin analogy, which is, if you were in a cabin and it, there was a blizzard and you were trapped in a cabin, and uh, you had a fireplace and firewood to keep warm, you would burn your firewood. But then, when you ran out of firewood, what do you do, right? Well, you're going to start burning off. You're going to start burning anything you can that's non-essential. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to burn your food right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to burn your blankets, but you're going to start breaking the chairs, right? You're going to start breaking the cabinets up, like anything in there that you can break down and throw in the fire for fuel to stay warm and stay alive, you'll do. And yep. so your body does the same thing when you're fasting. It starts breaking down non-essential tissue. Yep. And the essential tissue, like your your heart, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And your, even your organs, if you, if you fast long enough, Your organs will even shrink in size your body will reduce the size of your organs but but mainly your it focuses its attention on house cleaning so internal house cleaning and cancer Mm -hmm. cells are do not adapt well to fasting Mm -hmm. they're they're not as metabolically flexible as a healthy cell and so fasting weakens cancer cells and causes cancer cells to die so that's good so there's a there's just a number of benefits And the, the other one i should mention too is when you fast you actually undergo there's a process in fasting that is called uh, stem cell regeneration Mm -hmm. and fasting triggers this regenerative response. And so during the fast, you'll have old and damaged cells die, Mm -hmm. right? Those are the senile senescent cells in your body. They're just Mm -hmm. old, they're weak, they should have died. And the fasting just kind of pushes them over the edge. And so you have a significant amount of immune cells that will die during a fast. That doesn't sound good. But what happens is as soon as you start eating again, your body ramps up production of new immune cells. Mm. And so Dr. Walter Longo proved this, that fasting regenerates your immune system. Yeah. That is really powerful. So you think about you're weakening cancer cells, you're detoxifying your body, mm. and you're regenerating your immune system with a fast. And the minimum fast to, to accomplish, to get some benefit is three days. Mm-hmm. The three days on water, you have, you have achieved a, a measurable benefit. Mm. Um, we recommend three to five days on yeah. water. That's, that's the, sort of an ideal window. Most people can handle it. If you're taking medication you should work with a doctor you know but most quote-unquote healthy people can do three to five days on water without any problem the typically the worst effect is they just have no energy they feel yeah. really really tired and you should be resting anyway when you fast
0: last year i did a three-day fast just without any preparation i was Totally stupid, but um, I was doing it day one I found was a mental test because I knew I had three more like days to go, <laughs> yeah. uh, going to bed like having not eaten knowing I've got two more sleeps after that it was, and then the next day, physically, I felt optimal, like I felt like I'd had a full 24 hours, my body was starting. And then day three was spiritual, like I was handing hmm. it over, I was grateful for every single thing in my life, the ability, uh, and it was an emotional process. And that was just that was just three days. But uh, well, I'm glad you
1: shared that. Because yeah, I mean, even just a three day fast can really have a profound impact on you. 100%. And it's And I'm glad you brought up the mental and and the spiritual side of it, because absolutely. One thing that fasting does is it gives you this profound sense of gratitude for food. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) just
0: the simple basics. And, um, you know, my kids were looking at me and I was just like crying as I was just, I was just, I was crying because I was just grateful for everything. My kids, Daddy, you're
1: right. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. It will make um, you more emotional and things will bubble up. You know, the thing is food is medicine right and but food is also Mm -hmm. medication yes and so when we eat we we activate pleasure centers in our brain when when we eat food and uh that medication effect of food helps us suppress pain yeah yeah, right emotional mental and emotional pain and so when you stop eating you actually are are stopping a medication Mm. and so emotional pain will bubble up yeah right? Painful memories, like resentments, guilt, shame, anxieties, like the, those emotions will become very, very real mm. and present during a water fast, especially an extended water fast. And um, th- that that's the perfect opportunity to address them. Yeah. Right. To deal with those emotions, like to be very cognizant and aware and analyze yourself and also forgive the people who've hurt you.
0: Yeah, you you, you mentioned that a few times, and um, I have a question from an audience member, Um, and and I guess one of the perspectives that I really like that you share in the book is that I know that you started the blog Chris Beat Cancer, but your perspective changed to about healing, you know, that you understand that you're healing your cancer, and with this, do you have a a perspective on the belief that emotions, trapped emotions, have any links to cancer
1: yes and i wouldn't call them trapped emotions necessarily i would just call them unresolved sure so and what i mean by that is um there are there are i'm going to try to explain it in a succinct way because it's a really sort of vast and and Mm -hmm. deep rabbit hole but stress suppresses your immune system yeah that's the big, big idea number one here. When you're in a state of stress, your physical body responds with adrenaline and cortisol and those chemicals suppress your immune system. So, well, what causes stress? What is stress? Stress is negative emotion, mm-hmm. right? So there's a, there's a long list of stressful emotions and those are anger, bitterness, resentment well that's from your past yeah right those and that's always usually directed at people in your past that have hurt Mm -hmm. you you're angry at them you're bitter toward them you're resentful you're unforgiving of those people Mm -hmm. also guilt and shame right and that's that's internalized like you're guilty for things that you've done wrong you're ashamed of your mistakes right again this is from the past but like when you say trapped like this is that stuff from your past right That's unresolved Mm -hmm. in the present the negative emotions that cause stress would be like envy and jealousy Mm -hmm. you know um and then in the future the future-based negative emotions are fear worry and anxiety Mm -hmm. and so so many people are are just constantly bouncing back and forth Mm -hmm. between being worried about the future jealous of somebody in the present and angry at somebody in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they're just in a constant state of stress and not to mention oh, your finances, you know, your personal relationships, like your work, you know, so we have all these other stresses too. your kids. And, um, <clears throat> so we're bombarded with, uh, stressful, uh, either situations or emotions or thoughts. Okay. So now I've established we have a stress problem, <laughs> many of us, right? And so um, when you're in a state of chronic stress, day in, day out, day in, day out, you're in also in a state of chronic immunosuppression. And that leads you down this path of mm-hmm. cancer. Mm-hmm. You don't get cancer for being stressed out for a week or a month, you know, mm-hmm. but it's people that have been in this, uh, this stra- vicious stress cycle for mm-hmm. years and years and years. So there is a way out of it. Right. And the solution is you have to sort of deal with each category of stress Mm -hmm. separately. You have to, first of all, like be aware of what's stressing you and then start dealing with those things. So from your past, you have to forgive the people that have hurt you. Yeah. Because if you're holding on to the pain that they've caused you and the anger, you're just keeping yourself in a state of pain. Mm -hmm. Like it's you keeping you there, right? They caused you pain. It happened. But you're keeping you're holding on to the pain because you want justice which is natural but if you want to free yourself from the pain then you mm-hmm. forgive you mm-hmm. give them to god and this is what i did i made a decision to forgive every person who's ever hurt me in my life and mm-hmm. i just one by one by name and i didn't do it all in one sitting <laughs> right but i deliberately would just take time in in a you could do it in a prayerful sort of meditative state you just sit there and you think through your life and you let those people come up right you revisit those past painful memories which I know it's not fun, but you have to do it. You revisit it and you just in that moment say, okay, God, you know what they did. You know how I feel about it. They hurt me. I'm still angry. I still f- resent them. I still, you know, mm. but I'm choosing to forgive them. Like right mm. now in the middle of the pain, I'm choosing to forgive them and I'm letting it go. And they're all yours. Yeah. Right. That's the important thing. You just say, they're all yours. You can deal with them. I'm not gonna hold on for justice or vengeance or whatever. Mm. They're all yours. Yeah. And I'm not gonna carry it anymore. And so that's the forgiveness prayer. Like that's it. And then you just realize, like, okay, I've made that decision now. I just have to stick with it. Yeah. And if the feelings start to creep in again, you just say, nope, I forgive them. Mm -hmm. God, they're all yours. I'm not gonna let Mm -hmm. the pain and the anger like creep into my heart and my mind and steal my joy. Yeah. And so I did that for every person, right? every person who ever hurt me. And it did take time, but it's just a process. And, you know, every day I would just sit down and just or just driving in the car or doing whatever I'm doing. If I remember some painful memory, I would just stop and say, oh, hey, okay, there's somebody I haven't forgiven. I I, did. I need to just right now. I'm just going to choose to forgive them. So that's how you deal with the past. You got to forgive yourself. With the present, you gotta just catch yourself with the negative thoughts, right? You gotta catch yourself being judgmental or critical. You gotta catch yourself being envious and just be like, whoa, I'm being judgmental right now. I'm going to stop being judgmental, Mm -hmm. right? I'm being envious. I don't need to be envious of that person. I have so much to be thankful for in my own life. Like, let Mm -hmm. me just focus back on what's good in my life. By the way, gratitude was the secret to to happiness for me during cancer because I had everything to be unhappy about, right? Like, like, oh, you think your life sucks? I've got cancer. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. I have a right to be pissed off. I have a mm-hmm. right to be a jerk because mm-hmm. I have cancer, but I just realized like, I can't live this way. And so let me count my blessings. Like, What's good in my life. I have a wife mm-hmm. who loves me. I have a baby on the way. I have a roof over my head. I have enough food to pay my next, I mean, enough food to eat. I have enough money to pay my next set of bills. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I can walk and talk. I can feed myself. I can get out of bed. I'm not mm-hmm. dying in the hospital today. So yeah. like, as I would start like thinking through, like what's good in my life, then all of a sudden like my attitude changed, right? Like that's practice. That's the gratitude practice. That's, that's how you do it. So that's dealing with your present. And then the future, when you start feeling anxiety and fear about the future and worrying about the future, you have to catch those thoughts and stop and say okay i'm not going to worry about the future jesus said don't worry about tomorrow but jesus gives good advice like that's good advice <laughs> you should take it don't worry about tomorrow yeah. so i just realized okay i'm not going to worry about tomorrow i'm going to focus on today and i'm just god i trust you with tomorrow so yeah. like i know all this is easier said than done but yeah. but this really is this is the way this is the method well it's
0: it's why you've got the book like this which (laughs) is uh, to allow people to journey on the daily which is the beat cancer daily 365 days of inspiration encouragement and action steps
1: that's right that's where i I wrote that follow-up book as just daily daily encouragement daily reminders daily practical advice just like the thing about cancer or even health or life yeah is it is just a daily journey right? Yeah. It's, you just got today, one day at a time to focus on, like, just focus on getting today right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's easy to get distracted by like, yeah. what happened yesterday, or what might happen tomorrow. And at the, at the end of the day, neither of those things matter. Mm-hmm. So that was just my way of, you know, I just know, especially for cancer, every day is a struggle you know whether it's physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually mm-hmm. and so um yeah so that's a really special book that that I'm glad I was covid gave me the opportunity to sit down and and write it <laughs> that was the the silver lining for me was yeah. I was able to write two books because of the pandemic beat cancer daily and then the beat cancer kitchen yeah. cookbook which is all plant based yeah so um
0: yeah that's amazing. I'm, I'm conscious of your time. Super uh, want to be respectful of your time. Can I ask you a couple of quick fire questions? Please.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have a hard stop. So we're, we're, we're totally fine.
0: That's very gracious you. Thank you. You talk about in your book, how important um, the chiropractor and acupuncture was. What was it about those two practices that helped?
1: You know, there's something incredibly therapeutic when, when other people put their hands on you. You know, and I I wish I had a a more articulate way or or scientific way to explain it. But having a a professional uh, put their hands on you and work on your body, whether it's deep tissue massage, any kind of massage, right? Massage therapy or chiropractic or acupuncture. I just and they've done studies for sure. I mean, that one of the one of the science I could I could one little bit of science I can share is that, yeah, it actually calms down your nervous system. Mm-hmm. So those type of therapies, they, they calm your nervous system. They get, put, get you out of a state of stress yep. and that's good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what, really what acupuncture is all about is working with the nervous system. Yep. And so, yeah, so I think um, incorporating that into your life is, is wonderful. And also those people can connect you with other people. So that again, you're getting into that scene, right? You're getting into the health and wellness scene. So you'll, there are ancillary benefits, like just the connections that you can make. Mm -hmm. through your chiropractor or through an acupuncturist or especially if you share who you are and what you're going through right i have cancer and Mm -hmm. i'm trying to get well and this is what i'm doing do you know anybody that can help Mm -hmm. me who and then be like oh you have to call that you have to go see this person they're amazing they're an herbalist or they're like so you just never know like what's gonna what doors will open for you when you start you know visiting and connecting with these type of um healing practitioners so yeah i'm i'm big advocate of that
0: i put out into my community um that i was interviewing you i said does anybody have any questions and and, and guess who replied the holistic and the holistic practitioner the chiropractor the meditation and yoga teacher you know all these people so um, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome they've been following you some time and they were really looking forward to hearing this conversation. So that's amazing. I'm sure that section will be good for them to to listen back to. One of the things that I hear in the breathwork circle is about creating an alkaline state through the power of breathwork. Is that something you're familiar with and has anything to do with um, creating an environment where cancer cannot thrive?
1: I think there's a, so when I first started reading and researching, the 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 early information was was the alkaline Mm -hmm. message right it was it was on this just call it the alkaline theory okay Mm -hmm. that you have to alkalize your body you have to that cancer can't thrive in an alkaline state cancer's acidic and this and that and so i i bought into that idea and i was the raw food diet is is known as the alkaline diet Mm-hmm. Well, I was doing that. I was eating this perfect raw food diet, no cheating. I was testing my urine. I was testing my saliva. Mm-hmm. And it was acidic, 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 always. Mm-hmm. And it was very frustrating. And it, I was kind of kind of you know, it was just bothering me. I'm like, what, what is the problem? Like, I'm, you know, why is it acidic? Why is it? Well, eventually I was just like, whatever. I'm just not gonna worry about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna keep pumping in the nutrition. And then once I started blogging and sharing my story and then actually reading the scientific literature, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying something that was just totally wrong. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to understand why what I did helped me. And mm-hmm. if I was just a fluke or lucky, or if there was actually science that can, that a scientific basis for nutrition supplying body, the body, the uh, the ammunition it needs to fight cancer. right? Mm-hmm. And what I found was is that I don't think alkaline or, uh, has anything to do with healing. You know, you have different pH levels in different parts of your body, your stomach's acidic, your small intestine is less acidic, your colon is more alkaline, your blood is more alkaline. So <clears throat> you can't alkalize your body, like that's a myth. Um, now, there are foods that produce excess acid, so animal protein, for example, produces excess acid like uric acid that your body has to neutralize. Mm-hmm. And excess uric acid can cause gout, for example. like You can have definitely have problems like acidosis from, from contu- consuming too much acidic food. But what I've found is more important to focus on, really, is just focus on the nutrition. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's not about the acid or alkaline, it's about the vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, and all these wonderful phytonutrients in plant food right? And of course, mm-hmm. oxygen, <laughs> hydrogen and oxygen from water, <laughs> mm-hmm. oxygen from the air and hydrogen too, we're breathing it and we're drinking it. So like the, all of those elements, I think, um, in synergy are what is creating health. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, it, I just feel like the, the alkaline conversation, it's just a little bit reductionist and, and oversimplistic. And yeah, so I, I, I don't, yeah I, I don't really think it matters <laughs>
0: awesome. thank you for that my last quickfire question is just to honor your it's been 20 years almost since your uh diagnosis and man you look younger than ever like you know i saw <laughs> uh, i saw the uh, post-surgery video which you recorded 10 years after surgery and, and you look even younger than then as well so you know something is is uh, incredibly alive and well, and I, I know that you're married and you have a, a young family too. And uh, it's such a blessing to to hear your story and you come share that Thank with you. us. And 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 obviously, I I can barely scratch the surface with your story in this one hour conversation. I would just encourage any listeners to to head to uh, crispycancer.com dot com, go check out the books, go check out your podcast, your blogs. Um, and I'd I'd kind of love to know at what point you. Um, adjusted to being able to live not only cancer I guess would you call it cancer free but cancer is part of your life now it is part of dare we say your business it's the it's the it's the way that you work in the world and it's almost you must be having conversations about cancer every single day how do you keep that healthy and non-consuming uh in in a in a
1: way that's i guess healthy for you you as a human being um that's a that's a great question actually that i'm not asked very often (laughs) and the answer is uh when i first started to get well you know a couple of years after my my diagnosis uh and really two three four years in that in that sort of interim period where i was feeling good feeling more confident feeling optimistic that i the recurrent i had prevented this recurrence that i was told was basically a certainty and that i was going to survive um i i wanted to get as far away from cancer as possible I, I you know mention. what i mean i just wanted to, my sole focus it was not to write a book or do a blog or anything i I wasn't doing that right my sole focus was to get well yeah right that was it and then once i got well it was like let's just continue with my life like i don't want to i just want cancer to be in the rearview mirror yeah um but after the five-year mark uh people just people just started asking me like what did you do like I, you know You didn't do chemo what did you do you know and so i started telling my story to people Mm. and i just had this nagging sense that maybe i needed to not walk away from it yeah that maybe i needed to share it publicly in some way because i knew there were tons of cancer patients out there that needed encouragement i knew what how afraid they were yeah and so, and that's when, um, you know, that was 2010. So like YouTube had been, been going for a little while, social media, you know, MySpace and then Facebook, you know, were, were really uh, taking off. And it was like, and blogging was a big thing. And so it, I finally, at that point, it just sort of was like, oh, I guess I could, I could do a blog. <laughs> Right, like, and I had a buddy who kind of knew how to do it, and I was like, "Hey, how do how do I how do I do a blog?" (laughs) Right, so yeah, so I just started writing down my my experience and my what I'd learned, and started making YouTube videos, sharing what I'd learned, and yeah, it just started taking over my life, and and the feedback I got immediately was like, you know, confirming that well, wait a minute, maybe maybe this I really do need to be doing this. Mm -hmm. And, um, because there were so many people that were like clearly needed and wanted help. And, uh, I didn't expect there to be such a big response so quickly, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's what happened. And then, so it just was my part-time passion for the first five years Mm -hmm. from 2010 to 2015. And in that time, my audience just kept growing and growing and growing. And I was just, I just knew like, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was in real estate before that, which is a career I enjoyed. But, but there was a different level of fulfillment from yeah. doing this. Yeah. Um, from just being a patient advocate, and uh, I mean, I like I didn't even know how to describe myself. Like people were like, what do you do? I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just talking about health and healing, and and surviving cancer, and trying to give people hope and encouragement and practical action steps mm-hmm. so they can survive. Like, yeah, just trying trying to guide people on this health path you know and so but anyway yeah uh around that five-year mark of doing it it was kind of like wow this is i think i could maybe do this full-time yeah it looks like i could probably do this full-time and um and so that's when i just made a conscious decision it's like okay i'm going to focus on this i'm going to finish this book that i've been wanting to and trying to write and i'm just really going to focus on that and then um and create a course for people to help them in a private community and uh call that's called square one which you can find on mm-hmm. crispycancer.com if anybody's interested but um yeah so that that's that's how it wasn't it wasn't an overnight thing you know it was like five years of me just doing it because i love to do it for no money um and just because it was so important to me and then um yeah and then it just all of a sudden financially started to also make sense Mm -hmm. and yeah and then i got a book deal and that was great i was like oh man so yeah and then so crispy cancer the book came out in 2018 that was 15 Mm -hmm. years after my diagnosis and Mm -hmm. i mean 15 years is a long time to learn Mm -hmm. stuff (laughs) you know and so if my book is good, right? If, if if a person thinks my book is good, it's because yeah, I'd been learning and reading and researching and lived it for fifteen years yeah. before I wrote the book. So I think if I'd written it any sooner, it just wouldn't have been nearly as good.
0: <laughs> it's incredible. It's a great resource. It's gonna be it's gonna be incredible in the hands of of the people who need it to be. And um, I have a word here at always better than yesterday. It's called heartprint, and and the word is used to describe the legacy of our work of our interactions the possibilities that that we create through serving other people and i'd just love to know what you believe chris Beat cancer's heart print will be on this world
1: <clears throat> oh man well you know i don't know but i can tell you what my intention is mm-hmm. right and my intention i've already sort of explained it but i'm just trying to be a light in the dark Mm. you know i know how scary cancer is the, the darkness is the fear right and the confusion that's the darkness and uh i'm just trying to be a light just to help people see like there is a way out right there here's the path like let me show you how you can change your life that you don't have to be a victim that many people have followed have gone down this same path and have survived and thrived and gotten their life back and that their life is even better after cancer than it was before which is hard to imagine when you've been diagnosed that you're you feel like your life's over and so to me I feel like I'm here to encourage people to give them hope to hopefully give them inspiration and then and then of course, give them the the very, very practical, granular, detailed advice, like here's exactly what you need to change about your life and how to do it to help yourself. So that's my intention. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) And the impact. I mean, who can measure it? I don't know. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like when you put Mm -hmm. your story out there, which as you were doing, you, you know, you're putting yourself out there and putting information out. You just have no idea who who you're reaching. In fact, it was funny. We went to um, we went to lunch yesterday after church. To uh, there's a place that does like pretty, some pretty good veggies, and we went to get some veggie plates at this local restaurant. And, and I sit down. Well, when we were sitting, <laughs> this is just funny how life is. But <laughs> we're at the front of the restaurant. We're waiting to be seated, and um, the hostess was like uh, she was like, "Well, do y'all are y'all okay with sitting in the back?" And we we're like, what do you mean? She's like, well, we have this kind of little back room that um, we just open it up when, when it gets a little crowded.
2: Mm.
1: And we we're like, yeah, okay. Uh, and so she took us back there and, uh, and we sit down and I sit at the table and I look up and there's a lady at the next table looking right at me. And she was like, are you Chris? <laughs> Bro, come on. And I'm like, yes. And she was like, she was like, oh, and so I was like, okay, I need to talk, you know, so I I got up and and I went and talked to her and she, you know, she is a cancer survivor and she had read my book and she was actually a part of our, Uh our, our support coaching community. And it's like, you know, just this incredible divine appointment, you know, that, um, so we just had a really wonderful visit and she's doing great. And she was there with her mother and, and I believe her son and, um, so that's just one example of like you just never know like who you're reaching like that's the the incredible thing about the internet right or even just writing a book before the internet like when you when you put something out there that's a value to the world and I certainly I hope it's a value right you put something out there like you just don't there's no way to measure the impact you can have but um, you know if I died tomorrow in a car wreck I I would be very I mean I'm very happy with you know the amount of people that. I know I've impacted just from the feedback, from the, the emails and the messages and the one-on-ones. And so it's all just gravy from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I, I, it's I like, I'm just you... so blessed to be alive. I love that.
0: Power to that. Uh, I, I don't know whether you talk about her publicly, but I love the way that you honor your wife in, the, in your book as, as someone that uh, was there for you, walked with you, cared for, um, you know, what what, what do you have to say about your wife and, and, and to anyone that might be listening who is caring for someone that may be going through cancer?
1: My wife had a hard time in the beginning because she didn't understand my choices. Yeah, But, but she came around pretty quickly, um, especially after we had the experiences with the oncologist yeah. that treated us so badly. I think that kind of was a wake-up call for her about the reality of the medical industry and how cold and careless it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she she's one of the most courageous people I know, um, because I wanted to start a family. Mm. Like I had this diagnosis and it was like, oh man, the clock's ticking on my life. And I don't even know, like, like I'm 26, like I always thought I'd you know, have a family and like, I want to be a dad. Yeah. Like, you know, that didn't matter to me until I got cancer diagnosis. Then all of a sudden it was like, man, gosh, like I really do want to be a dad. Mm. I just want to experience, have that life experience. And, um, yeah. And she agreed to start a family with me, not knowing if I would even be alive Mm. to help her raise a child. And like that is just, it gets me a little choked up because it's just, I mean, such an act of sacrificial love. You know, I mean, she loved me that much that she was willing to do that. And um, so we started trying to have, you know, we started trying, you know, what trying means. (laughs) And um, uh, a year after I was diagnosed, I was back in the hospital holding this beautiful baby girl. Wow. Like, and and that added more fuel to my survival fire, yeah. Yeah. right? Because now it's like, I ha- now I really have to live. Before it was like, I have to live for my parents and my wife because I didn't want them to have to bury me. Yeah. And it's like, now I got to live for this little baby girl too. Mm. And that little baby girl turns 18 in three weeks. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: madness. Like, madness.
1: Yeah, man, it's crazy. I cannot believe it. I mean, it does just feel like yesterday, like her just being just a newborn, you know? So that, I mean, that is, if there's one story I can tell you about my wife, man, that is, that is my wife. She, she's my best friend. She's hilarious. She's beautiful. She's just an awesome mom. And she, um, yeah, and she, she just made this incredible, just took a leap of faith with me. You know, and stuck with me the whole way, even though she, she didn't understand what I was doing. Mm. And she believed in me and supported me in, in the, the best way she could. And and we have two, two daughters. So we had another girl about three and a half years after the first. And so she is... 14 so i have two teenage girls in the house and uh it's fun <laughs> and still a whole head of hair
0: and as they look younger than ever man my, my, my brother
1: I, my hair is a little thinner than it used to be <laughs> a little thinner but it's still pretty good i'm not complaining
0: <laughs> uh, you're looking good my friend and and you've been very gracious for your time thank you for staying on a bit longer and yeah. absolutely honored to share time and space with you thank you for all that you're putting out into the world thank you for the the possibilities you're creating through having conversations that aren't the norm um uh, and i find it very very endearing very very powerful and just want to say thank you for that i'd definitely encourage anybody listening to go to chrisbeatcancer.com check out the the books the resources the podcast the community whatever you feel drawn to go go be part of it um chris thank you i appreciate all that you're doing and i'd just be honored if you'd leave us a final thought from your good self
1: thank you ryan yeah it's been fun to, to hang out with you and talk to you and like disconnect with someone who's like minded is just great like I love being able to do what I do i'm just so Excellent. thankful I can do it i'm super blessed. Um, the final thought is. Um, your choices matter. That's that's a big idea, you know your choices matter your choices create your future and your choices have created your present. You know, where you're at right now and um, especially as an adult, you know, as a child, a lot of choices are made for us, right? But once you become an adult, like your choices really do direct the course of your life. And if you're willing to, to take responsibility that your choices got you where you are and that your choices can get you where you want to go, right? Then uh, you, you are empowering yourself, right? You're empowering yourself to change. And um, this is what I had to do, (laughs) right? I had to do it. I was, I was wired, kind of wired that way anyway, but it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, any person can change their diet, right? Any person can start exercising. Any person can forgive, Mm. right? Uh, These are things that anyone can do and they cost you almost nothing. And some of the most powerful things you can do for yourself, and you alluded to this earlier, uh, cost you nothing, right? Fasting, faith, forgiveness, uh, fitness. They all start with an F, if you notice that. Food, <laughs> even healthy food. It really doesn't cost much more than junk food. It really mm-hmm, doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, that big idea that, that if you're willing to, to make different choices, And just change your daily routine, like you can really have an incredible Mm. uh, outcome. Like it's like, and I talk about this in Beat Cancer Daily, but small change adds up. That's what I I like to say. Mm -hmm. Like, so all the little changes that you make to your life over time add up to big change, right? And there are big changes that you should make, like, make the big changes for sure, but -hmm. all the small changes add up too. They call it the long tail, but um, in statistics, right? It's called the long tail, but, um, but yeah, you know, I think we just get conditioned. We get in ruts and we get conditioned and we end up in cycles in life. And and typically it's cycles of bad behavior, the vicious cycle. Mm. And so when you're in a vicious cycle, your health and your life kind of spiral downward, but you can interrupt that process. And when you start making different choices, you, you go, you you start the cycle spinning the other way and that's called the virtuous cycle. Mm. And that's where things improve, (laughs) right? It's where your life and your health, they spiral up, (laughs) Mm. right? Things get better. So yeah, your choices matter. Your choices either create a vicious cycle or virtuous cycle.
0: Chris, God bless you and your family. Thank you, brother.
1: Thank you, Ryan. It's been really fun.
0: Hey, my friends, thank you for making it to the end. I hope that our time spent together today has left you a little bit better than before you push play. I'd really appreciate if you just took a moment to leave a review to allow me to meet more people where they are and hopefully leave them a little bit better too. If you're curious to know how I, through Always Better Than Yesterday, can serve you, your team, your organisation, then head to alwaysbetterthanyesterday.com to connect. And while you're there, let me know one or two things that you're going to do as a result of listening to this conversation. I absolutely love hearing your thoughts, your reflections, and the things that this spark in your own heart and mind. If you want more insights from my heart and mind, I do send out short episodes on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And again, I hope that they serve you well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Ryan Hartley, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast, a podcast for heart-centered leaders just like you. Keep leading, my friends. Always love.